Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast coming at you from St. Paul headquarters where you know we, we've made a commitment to always do our On the Wing podcast in person which makes today extra special because we have the voice of the Hunting Dog podcast, Ron Bame in the house. I'm too nervous to talk. <laughs> I, I'm too nervous. <laughs> How many podcasts have you done? Oh, what episode? Five are you times. On? I don't keep track of episodes, but five times, like three hundred or two hundred and fifty episodes, probably. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and you, <laughs> we we set out. We set out Miller Lite I, as a prop, I'm, and you said... Oh, I wasn't supposed yeah, you, to... You said, yeah, you're supposed to be 30 minutes in. You I said, thought, like, halfway I, I into... Did. But what if it gets warm? <laughs> you felt Miller bad Light's not that beer. good cold. The tragedy. <laughs> it, is, it is unbelievable. I, like, you exactly. instantly, subconsciously, grab the Miller Lite It's like taking the safety it. off on your gun. You just... I, I, I looked have, at it. It's, I have an outline here, Ron. I I was I, that was six was that bullet. Light? That was six bullet. Open oh, Miller Lite. Boy. Oh where, well. Where see, do I where do I go from let's here? Let's see if we can save this thing. <laughs> I got I got sprayed by the mist. Felt pretty good. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, well, that, that's all too perfect. Uh, Ron Bame uh, traveling through Minnesota is kind enough to join Jared Wickland and I. For a uh, pheasants forever, quail forever on the wing podcast in person. Uh, well, tell us why you're here. Why? Where, where are you going? Well, I, I I left Michigan Thursday and uh, I went up to the rough grouse camp tour in Eagle River, Wisconsin. Went up there to do some glad hand and do some podcasts. And I was supposed to go all the way to Missoula and be in North Dakota mm-hmm. and time wise, work wise, some other things just didn't work out. And that's when I started getting a bright idea to get a hold of you guys and say, hey, I'm coming through, maybe, you know, yeah. if it works out. <laughs> um, so my hunting is just going to be just this side, this side of the Mississippi, and I'm going to stay our side of the Missouri. Okay. So I won't be going, I won't be going any further than Minnesota. So, I'm a, so you're staying in Minnesota, so you're hunting grouse and woodcock yeah. the next couple yeah. days. Yeah, because I don't think you'll let me shoot your pheasants yet. A little bit early. A little bit early. Yeah, you How could shoot snipe? waterfall. We got, snipe? We got snipe. Snipe. Um, Is snipe open? Ducks are open. Uh, geese are open. Cranes in the far northwest. Yep. Sharptails in the northwest. Yep. I don't think you pulled a li- prairie chicken. But prairie chicken isn't until um, October, and that's by lottery only. Yep. Yeah, there can't be many of them. No, I think the uh, Minnesota sells... Oh, maybe two, three hundred prairie chicken permits per year, but it is a lottery, and you got to apply by a certain like, date. Yeah, it's like getting a bear permit or something. It's like Saturday yeah. in August. Get one we bird, had, probably. We had two of our guys go last year, um, yeah. and they they filled out in the morning by ten o'clock. Yeah. So really, yeah. If anybody's, if you, I think it, is it open just for residents, or is it non-residents too? <sighs> I I thought I was. I think just it's resident. just resident only, and it's the far northwest. Well, maybe not far. It's like northwestern central part of uh, Minnesota, so up Clay County, Fergus Falls, yep. Otter Tail County, up near that area. And the best advice I can give is, you know, talk to talk to the biologists up that way. If you're looking to go prairie chicken hunting, um, you got to apply for those permits. And if you get them, um, yeah. talk to the biologists. They helped helped yeah. our guys put follow put the them script right on. better than I did when the show started. <laughs> yeah. Don't just grab things. and <laughs> yeah. Think it's okay to go hunt because we're here talking we go. about prairie chickens. <laughs> so you so you're here gonna hunt some rough grouse and some yep. woodcock. Yep, I'm gonna probably steal somebody tomorrow, 
and uh, from your facility here. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and Jared's going to fall on the sword that, for that us. Huh? Yeah. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, hopefully get my little English cocker into her first shot woodcock, hopefully, nice. or grouse, ideally. And uh, I got my old dog Bravo with me, my old uh, Bracco Italiano. He hunts about as hard as I do, which is a perfect match. Yeah. <laughs> and I get a little vertigo watching Taffy. But uh, you, you've got a proper dog tomorrow, so. Yeah, we, we Engli- English Pointer might bring the lab with. I told him to prepare himself for a real death march tomorrow morning. But I'm hoping the weather cooperates. It looks like maybe a little bit of rain. But right now in the Twin Cities here on the 30th of September, uh, it is it's like 81 degrees today oh, and really terrible. humid outside. And tomorrow uh, we're going to lose 20 to 30 degrees, which means doodles – Maybe start moving a little mm, bit with the temperature. Yeah. Not until that ground gets hard. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's also by moon, could too, you, right? Could you please be more optimistic? I'm very optimistic. <laughs> I think the doodles are moving, actually. Jared had me all excited at lunch, and you're bringing me down. You don't think the doodles are moving? <laughs> no, I don't think. I can't imagine. I always, I always say the first 10 days, the first 10 days in October, man, that's when I tend to really – Really get into them, mm-hmm. and tomorrow is going to be one of those first ten days. See, yeah. I was in Ely not last weekend, but the weekend before. So it was the third week in September. Mm-hmm. I was in, you know, within fifteen miles of the Canadian border. Yeah, and we got into a woodcock shoot. I really, mean, it was tremendous habitat. It was perfect. So it was a flight. Then it wasn't just a couple <sighs> I think, family groups. I think that there were there was way more birds than just family locals. Way more birds per. <laughs> acre than should be uh, it, yeah it was crazy wow. good and so, it did frost up there too yeah it frosted it, really hard the other night so, so I that think, could do it i think they're i mean i know like for the most part they're moving with the moon i think with with the moon in light phase but our photo period but i gosh i gotta believe that doodles are starting to move it could Minnesota. be I, I should get a good timber doodle biologist on there yeah because I, 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 I love the research they do with them with the tracking collars and mm-hmm. you can go on your online and Watch them go down. I think one of them, I listened to somebody talking about it. And, uh, like, there's one, one. I think I think they put them on females because they're bigger. Mm. And in one night, they, they said probably a good tailwind, the bird covered 400 miles. Whoa. Hmm. And, and this same bird, they said a lot of birds will go 70 miles, 50, and then stop and feed, 200. This one had, like, three flights that were all almost 400 miles. Wow. Now that either knows where all the worms are, <laughs> or or it was raised. I don't know. It was like the underground railroad for for timber doodles. That bird got to Louisiana quicker than I could. <laughs> well, we're gonna see tomorrow. We're gonna try a little armchair biologist survey out in the uh, out in the woodlands and see what happens. So are you? I uh, think we'll be happy. I are think you? if we get a cripple, we ask them where they're from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you hunting uh, any pheasants forever spots? Uh, uh we might be. Acquisitions? I, we might be stopping stopping by a couple spots uh west of uh east central minnesota kind of up near the hinkley region yeah. and then maybe go go a little bit further north um up towards carlton county and some of those areas it's probably somewhat unknown or little known fact that there's a lot of pheasants forever properties um that are great habitat for woodcock especially mm-hmm. migrating woodcock but then yep. you know we've done some legacy amendment projects with uh, minnesota outdoor heritage fund in partnership with the minnesota sharp grouse society yep and rough grouse and rough grouse society um that 
have done we've done land acquisitions that have benefited not just pheasants but sharp tails rough grouse um, woodcock uh, turkeys ducks deer but it, very specifically on the northeast side of minnesota where sharp tails live and not a lot of people know that there's yep. even sharp tails on i'm glad i got the year-long license Pretty, yeah there you go. go you come on back i didn't go for the three day or i yeah. said i'll just come back <laughs> the, the only thing i think uh the minnesota dnr changed the sharp tail season to yeah, no Michigan residents. Well, <laughs> exactly. But on the western side of the state, it opened in conjunction with the rough grouse season. But on the eastern side, they changed it this year, and it opens closer with, to With pheasants. the pheasant season, I yeah. think, or is it the yeah. 14th? I can't remember. Yeah. Right I, around, I think right you're right there. The, with the pheasant season. But anyways, um, uh, so for folks that don't know Ron as I catch him mid-drink, uh, <laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm always a mid-drink, Bob. <laughs> uh, if, so our listeners of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, um, a lot of them know you. Because sure. You have, There's you always know, crossover and all. Yeah, 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 you've been a partner of our organization for a number of years yep. now. Um, you've been a member a number of years. You've been at Pheasant Fest. Some you got lady one... talked me into being a life member for Quail Forever last year. Hell, so. hell, hell yeah. <laughs> so apparently I'm, I'm, I'm knee-deep. I'm waist-deep now. And, yeah. And, um, you know, you've, you, you probably have one of the most popular, not only bird dog, you're probably the most popular bird dog podcast out there, but one of the most popular hunting podcasts. But if folks don't know you, give us uh, your backstory. Where are you from? Uh, how you got involved in hunting and where the podcast come, came from? Kind, kind of like all, all things didn't lead to like where they normally lead to with people. I mean, I grew up in the city limits of Chicago and... Most kids played baseball, football, track, or something like that. And me and my friends had a three-quarter square mile cemetery that wrapped around our neighborhood with the railroad tracks running through it. It actually had Illinois prairie grass still in it, and there was actually still pheasants. Hmm. And uh, I was in eighth grade. And so there was still pheasants in this. It's hard to believe. And then there was a giant, we thought it was a giant woodlot. Um, and then it was just a lot of undeveloped cemetery. And so we just, we just hung out on railroad tracks, putting pennies on the tracks, throwing rocks at bottles. So yeah, started out in Chicago and starting out, it was all about me and my friends going somewhere and just being able to have fun and walk around and, and, and chase pheasants. So pheasants was my first, first and still is my favorite game bird. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Everybody goes out West and they're like, Oh, I'm in love with Huns. I like sharp tails. I'm like, You've never had a pheasant screw with you enough, mm-hmm. you know, in, in low-density pheasant number areas. I'm not talking, you know, where they're piling out of right. a swamp or a, right. or a cattail pond. But, <clears throat> you know, trying to, trying to get a KGO rooster with your dog sometimes. Right. And then the amount of impact that bird can take. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget my first bird. It was, I, I think I'm still looking for it when I go back to South Dakota. Mm-hmm. It was right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How can a bird take a shot of load like a, a white-tailed deer can? Um, so I've, it's always been my favorite bird to chase. And thank goodness that Illinois had that program for us. And I didn't end up in Cook County Jail. I ended up in the fields. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. And, you, and you ultimately ended up in Michigan, yeah. you know, which where a lot of folks know you from and your connection with Steve Vernella. Yeah, that all happened. Um, well, that, well, we'll save the details. It all happened because the first marriage didn't work out. Okay. And I went up to go. I was really young. We were talking about one of those. We're married. Oh, tomorrow we're not married. You know, no kids, no harm, no fault, practice run. But I had a buddy up in Michigan. I went up, and he had moved up there. Got on my motorcycle, went up there to go party with him for a weekend. And 
I was just up there. I'm like, well, I, I should move. I should move up here. I should. I didn't have a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of, you know, money wise or anything. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to go down the road from his house, and it was in Twin Lake. He, he, he had happened to move to Twin Lake, Michigan, which is where, you know, Steve and Danny and Matt were raised right on the lake. And uh, so I went up there. Just down the road from his house was a sign that said, I never heard, you, you were raised in the UP. You've mm-hmm. heard of land contracts, you know. Nobody bought a house on land contract in Chicago. You, you bought the house for a mortgage company. Right. And uh, it said 500 down, $50 a month. And I said, even I could afford that, uh-huh. you know. So I bought five acres of woods right down the street in hmm. Twin Lake and went out to Kmart and got a sickle and started cutting the ferns down and thinking about building a log home someday. And so I was, I was pulled into Twin Lake, you know, 1982 or three, something like that. Fast forward to my current wife, which is the long-term plan. You know, <laughs> good one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> We're at 30-some-odd years now. Um, I talked her into somehow moving up there. Hmm. And, uh, and that's how, when I started my company, I was at the town hall, and I just happened to run into Steve's mom. Hmm. And then she saw the shirt on my back. She goes, I never heard of this company. I said, what's new? We travel around. We do construction, kind of different stuff. And she just happened to mention that she had three, three boys, one just starting college, which was Steve. The other two were in college, and they're always looking for summer work. Hmm. So that's where that whole lineage started from. Pretty fortuitous. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how'd the, the podcast, Hunting Dog Podcast come to be? Actually, just from that long-term relationship with Steve, actually. Hmm. Um, when he started his uh, second show, Meat Eater, I was down in Texas doing a Sandhill Crane episode with him, and he had a... Which is a great one, by the way. He liked that episode? I've watched that a couple I, different times. Yeah, that, that was the only one that doesn't have him and I arguing in it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but he brought out some equipment, a little, little bigger, like a Pelican case with all the headphones, and he says, hey, Ron, he says, you know, don't drink as many beers as you normally do <laughs> until later. He says, we're going to do a podcast. And I was like, what? I thought you needed a studio. Like, yeah. You know, now this is like, this is a, a studio, but this is a room yeah. at least. And uh, I just thought it had to be in a room, in a studio. It was, I thought there was a lot to it. Then when I realized that you could do this at a kitchen table, I just started thinking about, I could actually, I never kept good diaries. And do you guys keep hunting journals? Like I got the three birds, it was cloudy. You know, do you, I, do you I started do that? one around uh, my first bird. The dog. question was, you keep it? I don't. Okay, that's, that's I started my it right. And my goal was like every bird <laughs> I'd shoot over trammel. You I would note catalog it, down. and it ends up. Yeah, yeah, it's in he a keep, drawer next to my bed. He keeps track of his birds on his wall over there, though, don't you? In your office, I, I do keep track of like different species of birds year by year, just to get a sense of you know how this year compares to last yeah, yeah. and then i but also not like a journal like no, a lewis and clark no, journal no, no. You know? I, that, I had one at one sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i had one at once upon a time and then it kind of ran out but now that you bring it up it's like every hunter should probably probably do that to re- to remember whether it's with your bird dog or people right. you've gone with or just a specific day point in time right but the, to you the podcast is your journal. My, yeah and I had tried a couple. My wife bought me one for Christmas once, and I kept a year's worth of hunting in there. And it's kind of cool to read back and go, oh, I mm. forgot he was with me. Mm. I didn't put down the temperature and the shot size and all that stuff. But I did make some notes, but then I let it all lapse. Like, we all get sure. busy. 
and immediately it re- I was like, holy cow, we, we just got done hunting. And we're telling a story. There's not even going to be much exaggeration in stories because we're going to be able to call each other on it. Next yeah. year, when Bob says, or, you know, somebody says, oh, I got those three sandhills the first. And he's like, no, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't. You know, I shot the first one. You shot the it's second one. It's like a fish one. story. It just grows yeah, all yeah. the time. And every year they grow, right? Well, so then all of a sudden I said, this could be like an oral diary. Mm-hmm. And then I really, you know, my daughters are all married now. They weren't at that point. One of them was. And. So, you know, once you get that age, thinking about grandkids someday, you know, my daughters do hunt too, my son-in-laws hunt, but it's like, I probably won't spend a lot, I mean, just statistically, I probably won't spend a lot of time with my grandkids. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, they're not going to live in our backyard. We're not the Waltons, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not in the left hall on the left in the last room, you know, where Grandpa Walton was. And I thought about how cool it would be for kids or relatives who didn't know me mm-hmm. to hear these stories on a tailgate or in a mm-hmm. kitchen or, um, you know, obviously it's morphed into talks with you guys and RGS and I'm getting ecstatic about like working more in conservation, which it's all important to it, but it's still like a diary of my hunts and a diary of how I feel about hunting. Hmm. <laughs> um, and, and the other thing that really res my family, you know, I've been accused of having diarrhea of the mouth, which <laughs> is pretty true. That's why I didn't do good in school. And, uh, my mom was a talker, and her, her and her sisters and brothers, big family, they all wrote chain letters. You ever, you ever hear of a chain letter? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. So one would write, and they'd add it, and they'd throw a stamp on it, and yep. it would go to the next sister. No one could literally afford long-distance phone calls, mm-hmm. at least not the way the Donovans talked. You know, <laughs> you broke. And, uh, and then they ended up doing tapes later on when mm. portable cassette tape players came into some kind of vogue. Huh. You know? So we've still got tapes of my mom and aunts and uncles' conversations. And then it was just like, it was like, I, I'm going to do this forever because I just want these. I don't think they're, they're just stories. They're not great stories. They're not anything besides a little history of my life. And I'd give anything to have those things like from my dad coming home from World War II and all of his buddies at a card game and then putting a microphone out. I, I would pay to have that hmm. conversation now. So it started with that hunt with Steve seeing how basically easy it was to do. And, and then my mind just starts rolling like it always does. Like, oh, I could do this, and I could do that, and I could do this. And then someday I could just retire and do it all the time. And I could drive, like I'm doing this trip. I'm going to do eight podcasts on this hunting trip. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's how it started, and that's, that's kind of why I do it. If yeah. somebody hasn't listened to your podcast yet, and, you know, there's, there's got to be a percentage of Oh, there always are, is. Right? You're, you're exposing um, – uh, to brand new in the pheasants from right. quail forever on it. What podcast from your history should they go back and look for that you're like, whether you're super proud about it or it's a funny episode, which one, you know, sticks out as go listen to that one. God, I think maybe one of them I'd have to, I should, you didn't have that on the question. See, you don't work from a script. You don't have to worry about <laughs> no. that. I, I mean, one of my first ones that I was excited, I guess one I was excited about was when I th- tried to get people who were like somewhat like really well known mm-hmm. and I got a hold of Ben o. Williams on the phone mm-hmm. and, and then I got to go to his house later on and see his guns and sit with them and talk to him. Um, it's not super, it's not going to teach you anything about dog training. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, another one I, I did not too long ago with a, a dog trainer. There was a canine policeman in, in England. And now he works with sporting dogs now. He's retired. 
there's probably just a ton of them. Mm. I, I just can't pinpoint. I mean, if you want something totally silly, it would be me and Dave Utzinger getting completely to the point where I don't even know if we finished the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he brought over moonshine. Sounds, sounds like a good one. <laughs> <laughs> he brought over moonshine. I can't stand the taste of this stuff, but after enough beer, yeah. let me have a sip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let me have a sip. You know? um, and we did that one live on Facebook. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, it depends on what you're looking. Conservation-wise, you know, yeah. there's been good episodes. Um, the, I, and the other one's that I really think that I get a lot of feedback from. Um, I'll do question and answers with a trainer named Justin McGrail. Mm. Um, just in, in my world of NAVDA, being a, a NAVDA judge, yeah. I get around and a lot of people hang, hang their shingles out as trainers. And, and rightfully so. They're amateur trainers. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with saying you could be a carpenter. doesn't mean you don't have to do fine cabinetry, but you're a carpenter. And um, in my opinion, he's probably one of the best dog trainers I've ever met in my life. Hmm. It's just his demeanor and his method, methodology, methodology, and the purity of it is he won't. Tra- if you say you're getting your dog ready for a test, he says, "Well, you go find a trainer that likes to get dogs ready for tests. I like to get them ready for grouse and woodcock, you know." Mm-hmm. And so how do you not like this guy, mm-hmm. right? It's just hunting. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I do a question and answer, when I'll have listeners give questions, uh, send them in. I'll give them to Justin ahead of time, and God, he breaks down questions and makes you feel so dumb. You're like, because I, I, I get to read all the questions. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I know what to do with this dog. I'm way off. <laughs> I'm way off base. So, I mean, I would say I don't know about favorites, but if somebody hasn't listened and you want to learn a little about dog training, mm-hmm. I would say listen to some of the Justin McGrail episodes. Okay. It's some of my favorites that are sober. <laughs> and and it's somebody else's place. Uh-huh. I can't smoke a cigar or a cigarette. I can't yeah. chew tobacco. There's no alcohol involved. So it's pretty informative. (laughs) (laughs) I think dog training too, in and of itself is one of those things where, um, you know, even, even the best trainers in the world, you talk to like the, the Tom, Tom Dawkins and Mm -hmm. the Rick and Ronnie Smiths of the world. And they'll tell you that they, they still, they learn something new every day too. Right. Um, and I think that's the, that's the coolest thing about listening to, listening to dog, dog trainers and and picking up tips is it's one of my, one of my favorite things to do. Gun Dog, uh, I forget who was written by. It's one of my favorite favorite books that I Richard read. Richard Walter, yeah, oh, Walters, which yeah. are read back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, read. I kind of per- perused through it. I'm not much of a, a book guy myself. There's enough pictures but, to get you through it. Yeah, that's right. Jared. There's some good pictures in there. But you know, like uh, when we go to Pheasant Fest and listen to those dog trainers talk, I could sit at those seminars all day. Or listen, listen to your podcast with because that trainer like, all day. You feel like you're reading it and exactly, you're it. taking yeah. it in. You're you're picking up these cues that you can use for your dogs. That's yeah. just real life knowledge. I find mm-hmm. it pretty interesting. That's cool. Yeah. And, and you mentioned you have Bracco Italianos. Yes, I do. And you're you're probably the most well known person with that breed. How do you end up with a te- Bracco? That's just a a friend of mine who I see. I'm 62 and Bill's probably 72 now. So this is back up 12 13 years ago 14 years ago he was still riding a ducati motorcycle with a leather jacket on he's just one of these cool guys that you know he's got old english shotguns Mm. and it can't be just a it's got to be a ducati you know he's got to find an old bmw to drive he won't spend the he's he's from rhinelander so he doesn't spend any money really but he'll find things that he can afford (laughs) but they got to be esoteric so he was in italy with his wife on a trip saw a lady walking one on the street, and he knew it was a sporting dog just because of the coloring and the dock tail. 
but he couldn't figure out the long ears, and she spoke no English, and he spoke no Italian. So he took a picture of it. Um, I still remember the picture because the lady had beautiful legs. I'll never forget. <laughs> that was. I thought he was taking a picture of this dog, so he'd be like, "Look at the legs on this woman." And when I see the picture, I'm, you know, it was on my phone. Yeah. I'm like, "Some gams there," you know. And he's like, "No, what breed of dog is this?" I'm like, "Oh, I, uh, I don't know. I'll figure it out." Jeez. You know? well, watch for an email from me when you get yeah, home. Exactly. And. Uh, so anyway, yeah, he wanted to find out about this breed. I did a little research. He did a little research. And one just happened to be, there was a breeder in Kansas, uh, happened to be returned by an owner, which these dogs aren't returned. It, at this point, this many years back, it was the most expensive dog you could buy in this country, literally, hmm. Hmm. Um, just because of its rarity, not yep. because of its skill level. Hmm. Just totally its rarity. And uh, that dog happened to be gun-shy, and he only had to pay the transportation cost on it, and he said, Ron, you got to help me out. My last dog can't be gun shy, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gave it to a neighbor of mine that always just wanted a, a dog, you know, a pet. just a pet. And he loved that dog. Well, that dog kind of blossomed into a real dog very quick when it got into a good home and got its confidence and everything. And I, I had German wire hairs at that time, and I just said, you yeah, know, I'm going to find one of those Broncos. And I remember Jerry saying, he goes, you are not. I said, no, I, I'm, I'm going to find one. I just the dog's personality hmm. is why I got it. So it was just from a guy taking a trip to Italy. I would have never bought one. And I just happened to have sold a dog to a guy in North Dakota. And I had that money, you know, like burning mm-hmm. a hole in my pocket. I was like, how much are they? Yeah, I got enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I literally <laughs> paid for the dog ahead of time. It was not my smartest move, you know, but, but uh, it turned out okay. And, and you said you love the personality. What, what's the personality of a Brocco? Uh, they're like, I got to find a right way to say this. Um, they're kind of like, they just don't aggravate you. Hmm. I'm not saying they can't aggravate you. I can, I'm not saying you can't screw one up, but they're just so laid back. You'd almost think that like they don't hunt, you know, if I let Bravo out right now, he'd be bothering you. He'd be bothering Jared. He was bothering me when I was out there, right. giving him water. You know, most dogs let him out. He just <laughs> they just want to go do something, or like anybody could call this dog over. They would say, "He'd say, what? What do you need? Hmm. Get in my car." You know, they're just super personable dogs. Bob, have you hunted behind a Bronco before? I, I don't think I have, and it'll I, be my first time tomorrow, so I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> well, to it. And when you look at them, you well, know, they look like a bloodhound. Well, they don't look like a versatile breed, to be no, honest no. with you. And no. explain versatile breed for well, folks. Well, um, being a judge with North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, which you guys are one of our conservation partners, mm-hmm. um, the versatile dog is really a dog that does. If you really want to break it down. It's a dog that does all the work you need before and after the shot. The importance is before and after the shot. In that case, a lot of times it means retrieving something from water. So a long time ago, this, uh, in Germany, they, they had a testing system well, well before we did. And so they, they wanted these, what we would all call pointing dogs in this country, German Shorter being the most popular one here. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to hit the standard of being able to do water work just like they do field work. And so a lot of people say versatile means they do water work and, and field work. It's kind of true, but it's really the before and after. It's got to have the tracking concept to it. It's got to have the retrieving to it. Um, you know, we kid around all the time with my setter friends. You know, 30 or what is it? 33% of setters are retrieve. 
Now, that doesn't mean from certain lines. Mm-hmm. You'll get good retrievers. But if you took all the setters in this country and mixed them up in a bowl, 33% will pick up a bird. The other 66 won't. Mm-hmm. And that's just probably from a lot of field trials. Same thing. There's some pointers that won't. I don't Does yours? He retrieves pretty good, yeah. Does he? Yep. You got an anomaly. You know, I mean, or came from some stock that had it over and over and over. So, anyway, so the way I think of versatility is you can track with it. You can hunt with it. It'll retrieve. It'll go in the water. It, it'll, it is. That's part of the word versatile. But it's not just because it's multi-species. It's just multiple things you're asking that dog to do. Hmm. Um, they could have called it a myriad Mm-hmm. <laughs> a myriad of tasks dog. Right. And when you look at a Bracco, you know, my assumption is, okay, I, I could see that one probably pointing. Right. In not the, beautiful. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe not as classy <laughs> as an yeah. English setter or, a pro, you or know, as, a versatile breed, right. you know, with the, right. a Vishla with the tail up and, you they know, look like one a statue. Paw. Right. Yeah. Um, but and then I think about, okay, this dog is going to retrieve and retrieve in the water. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I'm well, not we, sure if I believe you, Ron. I have. There has been several. I'm one of them, of course, um, that have been through the whole NAVDA, entire NAVDA system. And you can't get a utility prize um, without being able to act just like all those other dogs do in the water. There's got to be a duck search that lasts up to 10 minutes, hmm. uh, a dead duck retrieving the water, and then there's drags of ducks that you drag the duck or whatever sure. critter you want to bring. And then all the pointing work. So they've got to do all that same work that basically that the, the, the system has laid out there for all the breeds. Um, there's a few other breeds out there that are just as shocking when you're like, it, really? <laughs> you brought this knife to a gunfight? <laughs> really? But that is pretty remarkable, though. It right? is. Yeah. And, and Bravo, I was lucky. His, not his sister, his, his girlfriend for all the years before uh-huh. she just died recently, um, he married an older woman. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so she's already gone. Um, she wasn't a great water dog. I would not. It's one thing about being around testing and dogs long enough. Learn to read your dog, and just sometimes, you know, this this dog is not going to be a test dog. Mm-hmm. This dog's a good hunter. I'm not going to get it to, you know, make 50 yard or 100. You know, I don't. This dog can't be pushed to that point. Mm. She would be what I would say was a more typical Bracco. Okay. Probably would have not passed the water test. Probably would have got the duck on the retrieve. But to get her to go do an independent duck search, mm-hmm. her drive was very much like, I don't know, you yeah. know. Um, and I'd say that, and it's, it's a, a, a thing that the breed suffers from. Um, you can get, like I was talking about setters, that you know, 33% of them will pick up a bird. I'll bet you in the Bracco world, 33% of them will swim. Hmm. And not that they can't. They'll go swim in your pool. They'll go out a kayak with you. But they, they just don't have that. They can't take that field desire and and put it into the water. Now you can push a dog, you can train it, and you can trick it, and you can spend a hundred hours a summer getting this dog to chase ducks on the water. But to me, I don't do that. Hmm. If if that's not, it's like my mom trying to make me go to college. wasn't gonna happen. Hmm. You know, I did fine in life. I was a construction guy. I was not a book learner. Um, people got to look at their dogs the same way. That dog's not a test dog. Don't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, or don't try to. We we get asked an awful lot, like, what's the best pheasant dog to get mm-hmm. in I live in Minnesota? Or what's the best quail dog in I live in Georgia? What's the best species to hunt? What's Where's the sweet spot for the Bracco? What, what, where and what kind of game? I, I would just say um, pheasants for sure. Hmm. 
Grouse and Woodcock, absolutely. They're typically a, a little slower dog. Now, again, that Artie I told you about, she actually grew up with two English setters, so she thought she was a setter. She, she was always gone. Mm. She's just running like, a, <laughs> running like she wasn't supposed to run. When people come over to look at puppies, I'd only let them see Bravo run because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want them to think they were going to get a crazy girl. <laughs> but um, definitely Grouse and Woodcock. Yeah. I would say definitely Quail. I would say um, if you're really that early sharp tail hun hunter, mm. um, I've, I've shot plenty of huns over. Not plenty. I've shot several huns, several huns over him, um, and uh, I don't know, a couple dozen sharp tails. Mm. The, the dog is capable of the dog, the bird work, but like they're such a big, heavy boned animal that yeah, he's he's big. How much does he weigh? He's probably 85 pounds. Wow. Is he? Yeah, he, he's he a big should boy. Be, he should be 88, 78, but he's not. He's a little fat right now, kind of mm-hmm. like me. I don't look fat from some angles. But, you know, if you rub here, you might not feel my lower three ribs <laughs> like we're supposed to. Oh, don't look at me like that, guys. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it, that dog required, you'll see it tomorrow. Yeah. We can only go as far as I can bring water for him. Yeah, a lot of water. Because that big, heavy face, that big, jowly yeah. Um, those ears, imagine having an ear that big slapping you in the face and the heat of it, you know, yeah. they, they froth up at the mouth. They, they get super thirsty. Mm. And now, yes, there's, there's some skinny ones out there. There's a guy that was famous for being a chucker hunter with his out in Nevada, hmm. out in, um, I think it was Gerlock, Nevada. Hmm. And he was, he bred a couple, three litters of Broncos and he was a great chucker hunter. But if you saw his dogs in the pictures, they were finer, a little finer boned. And he really kept in the way most people should keep a dog. They almost, you know, really, you've seen field trial dogs. They almost look like they're starving to death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he kept his dogs. But that's how he practiced up mm. in the mountains in, in Nevada. So there really isn't a game species that they can't handle. Um, I just don't chase. Like, I'm not going to take these dogs to uh, Arizona. All my friends go down to Arizona. They're pulling out cactuses mm-hmm. and you get, you know, get a Brock who gets a thorn. He's going to be like the lion. He's going to let the mouse take it out of his paw. <laughs> you know, I can't move. <laughs> like, like the one in the Rizzo Raj. I need some courage. <laughs> that was pretty good. Do you do other impressions? <laughs> no, only, only if I drink the other two Miller yeah. Lights on the table, um, which are for you guys, actually. Um, but anyway, uh, so, yeah, I, I'd say pheasants for sure, though. I mean, yeah. he's in, huh. and they're big, strong dogs, so he goose hunts. Um, good, you know, good goose retriever. Mm-hmm. He happens to be a good cold water dog. Hmm. We grouse hunt up in Michigan, and right up till January one. And my favorite place in Michigan is called Cedar Creek. Just this crystal clear creek runs and runs and ribbons through this area. You said Cedar Creek, Cedar that's Cedar, Cedar, Cedar River, right? Right, Cedar okay. Creek. Yeah. He doesn't know where my spots are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thought I had a low jack. Better pull Onyx out. Start dropping <laughs> some pins. <laughs> I thought you said it was okay, Jared, to give <laughs> yeah. me a spot. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. So this dog will go, I don't care how cold, how much snow's on the ground, the river's, this creek's always running. He just goes right into that creek, walks the creek, walks the creek, pops back out of the creek. Icicles can come off his ears. He could care less. Huh. Really? But he's an anomaly. Huh. He's not. If somebody's buying one of my dogs, I say, look, they're a good hunting dog. They're not a great hunting dog. Just because the things that you guys benefit from is all the breeders ahead of you that were trying to win things. Mm-hmm. So they were more energy, more desire, better nose. The Italians had like this, it's almost like the English hunt. You know how English, it's like a thing, like everybody else does the work, the beaters and the mm-hmm. gamekeepers and the English gentlemen stand there and shoot. They've never walked, you know, 20 miles on a sharp tail hunt. Right. They die. 
And, and the Italians are that way with the dogs. They were as concerned as much about the beauty and confirmation of the dog as they were its talent. Hmm. So I think in a way we suffer from it a little bit as far as being that high energy dog. But then that's why also people like the dog. Because mm-hmm. if you want to watch TV for the weekend, the gun could be sitting on a couch. Right. All he'd ask you to do is move it so he'd be comfy. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Lay down right next to you. Make some room. The lions well, are well, on. Here's another. Here's, <laughs> a, here's the. We'll, we'll sum up the rest of the Bracco with this. We were talking at the, this uh, event this weekend, and two guys at breakfast said he, he had that Garmin watch on. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, I walked two miles yesterday. And my dog did six. And I'm saying, Grouse, well, this probably sounds about right. Sure. You know? Another guy said, well, you know, I was out west, and um, he said, my, my short hair, he said, I think it was, he said, well, I wanted to write that down. I think I walked five miles, and my dog ran like 25 miles, mm-hmm. which you could see sure. out west, right? And I, and I interrupted. I, I didn't even know I was. Li- they didn't even know I was listening to him. I said, "You know, what my dog does. My dog wears the Garmin watch to make sure I don't not walk." <laughs> <laughs> so, but the, I, I love the breed. It's, yeah. it's uh, and, and there's no fur drive to speak of it. Mm. Big plus. Mm-hmm. Big plus in porcupine, deer, fawn country, cats. I had enough cat stories. To, huh. Yeah. So well, we're we're going into porcupine country tomorrow. He won't care. That's good. He's had a couple. You know, the place we're going to, there was uh, there was some bear hunters up there last week that had just shot had just shot a, a bear the night before, and they were looking for it. They never found it. They shot it with a 7-millimeter at, like, 40 yards. So I don't know how they lost it. But <laughs> is that one of those things where do they use Broncos for that, too, for tracking no, big game, or is no. it mostly for, for upland? Just, just, you just, when I talk about tracking, it would be just for, you know, the blood tracking of a wounded bird. Right. Okay. Now, my son-in-law in Florida um, – he has one. That's how he became my son. He bought a dog for me and ended up marrying my daughter. Um, package deal. It was a package deal. <laughs> and uh, he's used it at his deer camp in southern Alabama. Huh. But I, he's never trained it. Like, uh, they probably would have found the deer eventually, hmm. but it saved them a lot of time. Yeah. You know, they're on a big, a big lease that they have down there, and they put like a 50-foot cord on a dog hmm. and, you know, just – I think it's supposed to be a 10-foot cord, 20-foot cord. Anyway, and just letting him run through the woods and smell. He, he's found three deer, hmm. but I'm not going to say they're blood trackers. I think any dog can be a blood tracker if, if you chain it, you know, train it for yeah. blood. And I think you, you said uh, you have an English cocker now as well, right? You got little Taffy. Taffy Beauti- that's beautiful right. little pup. I you just talked about Taffy. She's a heart melter. Like two years old? Is that right? <laughs> no, she's a year in June. Year, yeah. Oh, okay. I've been talking about getting her for two years on the air. And then since June of last year, I've owned her. Okay. Or she was born. And uh, yeah, she's, I'm excited about this dog. This is, to me, it's like the same, it's like having a Brocco that weighs 22 pounds. Hmm. Doesn't run away from me. Doesn't try to kill any fur. <laughs> yeah. Retrieves like a son of a gun. And uh, I don't know how she's going to carry a full-size pheasant back someday. They say they'll drag them. I'm thinking that's going to be tough. <laughs> you know, Jared and I have hunted with uh, Anthony Houck's, um Cockers for a number of years. Phenomenal and, pheasant dogs. Yeah. Are they as small as Taffy? A little bigger, I would think. Their midge is probably as, as small. Maybe a, maybe a tad. Maybe but not, a tad not bit like, bigger, but not. Not, not like, much. oh, my God, a different breed of dog. No, no I, I think you'll be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I haven't put to the challenge yet to see what the, what, when something big hits the ground. Well, we'll start with woodcock tomorrow. Perfect. And a grouse. Perfect size. And then once pheasant season opens up. Can you hit up. grouse, Jared? What's that? Are you a good shot on grouse? 
I don't want to brag. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I hold my own in the forest, I guess. Good. I like to, Good. I like to clear a path with the first shot and then get them with a the follow-up. So. Because I always default to, you know what? I did it again. I started acting like a judge, and I was watching your dog's steadiness. Yeah. yeah. That's why and I there missed. he went. There he went. I missed. <laughs> no, it'll be fun. It'll be a good time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You said pheasants are your, your favorite bird. Yep. And is that all because that's what you started? or I think it's because of what I started for sure. But then I took a trip to South Dakota. Do um, you know South Dakota real well? You know, Pretty well, yeah. Well, Tyndall is way down southeast south dakota okay down by yankton yeah just a little bit west of yankton okay so i had some friends from church that were from there and when he knew i had a had some bird dogs he said you ought to go to my mom and dad's place down there and i got cousins down there so our first really good wild bird hunting experience was in south dakota a long time ago when you could knock on every door there was no no posted signs Hmm. and this part of south dakota didn't have any non-residents there on opening day that's how, like, anybody that knew where to go in South Dakota wouldn't come here because it's not a high-density area. Right. But you had all the access in the world. So it was just my – the trip is, like, what made it, you know. I mean, I, we never had a no. Hmm. I mean, we had some family stuff. We had to go meet, you know, his, his mom and dad were still alive. We met them, met the cousin. But then, you know, we fixed the guy's flat tire, helped the guy fix a flat tire in the road, gave us a couple sections of land on hmm. went to the restaurant. That, that, that story we always talk about, like when you're on Rooster Road Trip, talking to the waitress at the bar mm-hmm. or at the cafe, mm-hmm. and said, well, you know, you know, go, go see Bill over there when he's done eating. Right. Yeah. I was just like, how could these people love you that much? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Uncle Ned's got a ranch down the road. Right. And go then see him. Go see him, and they'll make a phone call. Or I had one time they said, you know what, just go out there anyway. Tell him I said it was okay. I'm like, yeah. I, my mom wouldn't let you go in the neighbor's house without knocking. These people are telling you to it, go on property that, with a gun. That's yeah. one of the things today, too. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but that's one of the things today, too, that I think hunters nowadays are rather poor at doing is asking asking for access, whether they're just scared to do it or just expecting a no. Um, I've I've been with a couple couple friends and a family trip mm-hmm. to South Dakota where, especially, especially late season when yeah. there's, like, nobody out there. Right. You can still get you can still get access by asking around. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty important. Point. No, I think I think you can too. I, I know I, I wouldn't doubt that at all. I, I haven't ha- you know I've started hitting some of the crep lands and mm. different lands now. We still got a couple connections there, um, but if I had to, I'd knock on doors. I could mm. care less if it said no solicitation, as long as it didn't say you know no hunting, don't ask. Yeah. You ever see those? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I've seen no hunting. I'm like, what's well, okay to ask? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't say it. it. Asking is not hunting. <laughs> right. yeah. Asking is introducing yourself. You know, I can right. be selling vacuums. And right below that sign is beware of dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> beware of beware of Brocco coming out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that I think that's why it was my. I mean, of course, we didn't understand pheasants. I didn't. I still, I still don't sometimes. Mm. You know, you know. Coming from Michigan, people say, like, you know, the rough grouse is the king of the woods. Hardest bird in the world to go learn how to hunt. I mean, it's you got to learn how to shoot it, too. Mm. You know, a pheasant, if you can at least get it up, you got at least a chance of, of knocking it down. You get your first grouse up, and if you look at one tree, you're not hitting that grouse. Mm-hmm. And how do you first time not look at a tree when you're swinging on a grouse? Right. And how do you hit your first quail when it gets up in a covey of 16? 
you don't. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I mean, if somebody says they did, they got lucky. Right. I mean, you know, if, if they did, Helen Keller could. <laughs> you know, because your first time, you might as well close your eyes on a covey of quail right. or a covey of huns. You know, first covey of huns I ever had. Um, it, it, it's like, <laughs> I yeah. did. I look, I, I, if somebody had a slow motion camera in my eyes, it would look like I was looking at, you know, all four bases of the baseball field and pictures <laughs> around yeah. at the same time. Uh. Um, but yeah, pheasants, they're just, they were so tricky. Mm. They were so sneaky. I mean, you know, a, a grouse, like a grouse is in his world all the time, you know, the tr- almost all the time. And the ones that aren't, once we hit mm. and, but like, I remember seeing a pheasant in a cut alfalfa field. Like, I've never seen a, a, a grouse run on the ground with its chin literally dragging on the ground. So you wouldn't see its profile running. Mm. How's a grouse run? Runs upright. Right. Right? See a grouse, when they see you, literally go down like a duck in the water and can hold their head literally, I don't know how they do it, and can walk across the field and stay that low to the ground. That's a sneaky little bird. And pheasant, you mean. Pheasant. Yeah. Sorry, pheasant. Yeah. And a bird is just that cagey huh. um, that will let you sit there and light a cigar, you know, at the end of a field. And it'll be, you know, everyone's talking. You're waiting for the last guy. You're waiting for your last blocker to come around. And all of a sudden, it scares the crap out of you. <laughs> I mean, have grouse, have grouse scared me before? Yeah, but not while I was standing there smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and the dogs are standing on your leash. Right. And the yeah. pheasant's still hiding yeah. right there, you know. Um, so they just make me smile more. They, they're, I just think they're... Yeah. The coolest thing. So, I want to say it was just two weeks ago, maybe. Plus, you, I'm at Pheasants headquarters. Well, yeah, no, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll ask about your quail story in a moment. But <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, you sent a text and said, "How many how many members do you guys have? Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, relative to the number of um, hunters out hunters out there." Yeah. And you you asked Rough Grouse Society similar, right? Uh, well, and the statistics that came back surprised you. It, it didn't just surprise me. It's, uh, if you heard there, – there's one if you ask uh, an episode to go listen to for people who don't know. Go listen to the one that was three or four weeks ago with Ben Jones and Tom Franklin. They came down and dove hunted in Virginia with me. And Ben Jones is a relatively new executive director for Rough Grouse Society. Rough Grouse Society. And Tom Franklin works for uh, the National Bob White uh, Conservation. Conservation Initiative. And I've hunted before with Tom. And, and uh, so – I asked him that. I don't know how he got on the subject in the podcast. I didn't re-listen to it, but I said, how many members do you think? Because he always said, we need more members because they're a small group. There's only like 17,000 members of Rough Grouse Society, and we're aging out. Like Howard said last year, like he gave those aging out st- statistics. That scared me too. Yeah. And when he said, and I still like, I want Ben to go back and do his research one more time. He said 1%. Mm. And... I was, and I, I'm, you know, we got the recorder going and, and I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just not right. Some, someone's not even trying to, they're not even trying to pay it forward. I mean, you can't survive on 1% of anything, you know. You got to have more than 1% of, you know, the, the church ladies that make soup suppers. Right. More than 1% of the women at church are helping out with it. Something's got to be better than 1%. And that's when I was going to do the intro and I decided I was going to go into like a shaming thing which and i'm going to continue until i see numbers go up on all in fact i got to tell you guys i kept sending ben the emails that came back said i renewed my pf membership well i was talking about all of you guys (laughs) but a lot of them i'd send those to ben he goes don't send them to me (laughs) he said um but 
I was just like flabbergasted. And I really was that guy when I was in my 20s and 30s. I thought CRP was brown grass. Mm -hmm. I didn't know why it had three initials in front of it. Didn't know what it meant. Didn't know what it meant to the environment, water, pollen. I didn't know any of that stuff. I got the magazine. Did I read it? Mm. No, I read a couple hunting stories mm -hmm. in there. Didn't. And I got to the story about, you know, planting wildflowers, and I honestly didn't read it. And I just, I don't want all the, I know there's a lot of young people that listen to this show because it's a podcast, and it's really a young person's game for mm -hmm. the most part. And I just don't want them to do what I did, and I just want to see if hunter numbers are declining at the rate they're declining, then we have to increase, act, you know, active membership in the habitat organizations this one du delta everybody because if, if what are your numbers for PF? yeah yeah so so you said rough grouse society roughly seventeen thousand members yeah quail forever roughly nineteen thousand members right. and pheasants forever 125,000 members so mm -hmm. um you know 125,000 members roughly 1.2 million pheasant hunters mm-hmm 19,000 quail forever members, roughly 400,000 quail hunters out there. And you, you add us all up together, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, we're maybe at 165,000 members within the three largest upland conservation groups. Three most popular shot at birds in this country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and you look at the ratings, uh, charity ratings for Rough Grouse Society or, or our organizations. Yeah, they're right at like 90%. Yeah, 90% on the dollar yeah. goes right into the ground to create habitat. You know, you've you've been here. You came in, had lunch. You've, you've mm -hmm. checked out the offices. Yeah. You, you can testify that uh, the I'll, money is not going into <laughs> our my, office space. I never saw. <laughs> you like our I recording studio? <laughs> This is the biggest room you got. <laughs> <I know. laughs> you don't even have a picture on the wall. It's like you're moving. <laughs> you need to deck this, this out a little this bit. This one's getting this one's getting painted for a for a new staff for that. <laughs> okay, it is. It, I mean, but it is surprising when you come I, here and it's right. it's headquarters. This, I, I, this is I, a warehouse. I would say it's Spartan. Yeah, you know, it's not ugly. But it, you're, you're not giving it's these, not far from us. Yeah. Well, you know, if if you're going to drive a desk, which you got, you know, doing what you guys do internally, you mm. a lot of your job is driving that desk all day. Right. So you put a partition on his left shoulder, his right shoulder. <laughs> he, he doesn't get to look at his coworker. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like Scrooge McDuck here. <laughs> and, and you know, honestly, that's that's a bit of a badge of honor for us. I, I, now, you know, coming in day to day, you know, you'd like a few. Um, amenities but right the fact that you know n since 1982 90 cents on the dollar has gone out there on the landscape the to door. create right. habitat right. it's like yeah. puff, you know yep. puff up the chest that's that's why we're here and i'll yeah. throw this out too and we talked a little bit about this at lunch ahead of time and mm -hmm. as you know we were talking about our different hunting trips and things that got come up and, and this topic came up and um you know i'll throw it out there for for anybody that's listening to this podcast that we're recording here today yeah if you are not a pheasants forever member not a quill forever member if you even have a uh, a hint of wanting to learn a little bit more right. i'll i'll send i'll send you a magazine right. and the the one thing that i love about our our new our new public lands fall magazine just came that's out that's great man it's and, a great issue yep and there um howard has a column in the front of that um, that talks uh, about you know where pheasants forever and quail for or where pheasants forever has been, mm -hmm. um, where quail forever has been. And three months ago, we just surpassed the two hundred thousand acre mark wow. for public land acquisition. 
And yeah, how can people not know that? If you yeah, if you if you break that down, like what what is your money going towards as a member? Well, that, that's that's one of the things it's going towards is providing right. more places for you and your bird dogs to roam. Yeah. And one of the places I'm taking you hunting that tomorrow. I mean, obviously it's we're rough grouse from Woodcock because pheasants right. not open yet. Right. But that particular area was purchased with Pheasants Forever dollars. Yeah, which is members' dollars. Yep, it's a pretty cool story. Like you get to see what you spent your money on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you when you break it down, I don't even have my I don't even have it in front of me. But when you take you know, I think it's two hundred and one thousand acres right now, and you divide it by six forty to get the amount of square miles. Mm-hmm. Just walking the outside border of those acres mm-hmm. would take you all the way from Canada down to the Mexico border. Jeez. And that's not hunting. That's not hunting any of the ground that's right. in that's between all those perimeter. Lines. That's just going around the perimeter. Yeah. So I think when you know people need to understand that the, um, you know the the impact that they are having by right. by being a member. Um, if you want to be involved in a chapter, uh, like a lot of us are in the office here as well in sure. our local chapters. God bless you. I mean, right. it's a, it's it's volunteer work. But it's work. not mandatory if you just want to be a PFQF no, member. No, no. If you want to if you want to be a member and contribute to to upland habitat that contributes to upland hunting and getting you and your kids and your bird dogs uh, out on the landscape, mm-hmm. by all means, let us know, yeah. and we're happy to send a magazine and, out and just if, to get you started. Yeah, you know? And if and if you don't want to go to a banquet, say, oh, banquets aren't my things. It, to me, and this is where I just feel like. That's like a polite way of saying get off your dead butt and, and do something. Mm-hmm. If you're taking a wild bird species and you don't think it's important to help the habitat organization related with that bird, that's kind of rude. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really just this side of like, you know, it's my world. I'll trash it up all I want. I'll take what I want. I'll, I'll extract what I want from it, and I'm not going to give anything back. And I don't think – I know if somebody would have said that to me when I was 30 out in South Dakota, they would have got my attention. But what you usually get is a postcard and says, did you renew your membership? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah, I forgot. And I, So I'm just yelling at people now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying it's time to take my dad's approach and yell at me. And it's the only way to get it into my head. Hunting, you know, hunting license dollars are great. Like you, you just purchased your small game license, right. what was it, 103 bucks here yep. in Minnesota today? Yep. And obviously that's going to go back towards um, habitat management and, you know, hiring biologists for the state and whatever, right. where all that money is divided up as. Right. But as the – the hunting population has continued to shrink. Right. We got to come up with more and innovative ways to help fund conservation. And that I'm, could be habitat yep. membership. And, mm-hmm. I, and I don't care whether it's Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, Rough Grouse Society, Ducks Unlimited, National Wild Turkey Federation. Something. We work with all of them. Right. They're all doing great things. Yep. Um, and you talk about giving giving back to the the animals that you're you're pursuing right. and giving back to the habitat right. that's the number one way to do it in my opinion besides just buying a license right. is purchasing a membership and you know kind of putting your mouth where your money is yeah. to be perfectly yeah. honest well just to add a couple additional elements onto the statistic you talked about 201,000 acres of land acquisitions that Pheasants Forever's participated in so every one of those acres are now WMAs or WPAs, depending on if we worked with the state or the federal agency, mm-hmm. and they're open to public hunting. So that's one piece. Yeah. Then you think about walk-in programs. You know, We work um, through the Farm Bill to create VPA HIP, Voluntary Public Access mm-hmm. Habitat Incentives Program, which is a federal funding mechanism that adds dollars into state 
agencies to create walk-in programs that exist out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Plots program in North Dakota, um, open fields and waters in Nebraska, yep. walk-in access in, in Minnesota, I, you know, Weha yeah. in Kansas, um, Oklahoma. So all sorts of states have these walk-in programs, and Pheasants Forever membership is helping fund whether it's the lobbying or the administration to open up those additional private acres opening mm-hmm. up for public access. And then the other piece is while we all love public access and we consider ourselves public land creators, yeah. um, we also recognize the fact that the majority of the wildlife in this country is born on private land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the work that Pheasants Forever does on the farm bill, advocating for CRP, all your favorite acronyms, mm-hmm. right? CSP, mm-hmm. equi- 18 million acres worth of habitat projects that this organization's done since 1982. 18 million. I don't know what the, you know, the perimeter of that would take you it's to. It's a long ways. <laughs> but it's probably back and forth from moon. Canada to Mexico. The moon. So it, not to, to make this an infomercial, but I um, appreciate you bringing up the, the topic that as bird hunters, you know, we – we don't think twice about buying that extra box of shells or a six pack of beer. Exactly. You know, it, that membership to an organization, whether it's Rough Grouse Society, Quail Forever, Pheasants Forever, uh, it is going to hit the ground into right. more habitat. And ultimately, that's going to make your dog happier. Yeah. Your children mm-hmm. have a better future enjoying the outdoors. and. And, feed uh, your passion. Yeah, and I never realized, as, as many banquets as I've been to in 40-some years, I never, it was kind of like the sermon. You remember when the pastor mm-hmm. would give the sermon, mm-hmm. and you kind of blinked out a little bit? Mm-hmm. And then when the next thing came up, you're like, oh, the church is almost over. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and I don't <laughs> want people. Yeah, <laughs> communion. Communion is i got a sip of wine. Yeah. We're Lutheran. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't want people to be, I don't want people to be like I was, you know. Mm. I think I. Certainly, I gave the local economies, you know, when I was there. That helped them. Right. But that wasn't building any habitat. I wasn't thinking about where my dollars were going. And uh, I just want – I do. I want people to be more aware of it. I I hope on your future podcast, start shaming everybody. (laughs) Don't take the nice Bob approach. Don't take the nice Bob approach. Come in there like fire and brimstone like a Baptist preacher. (laughs) Because I think – well, Ben had called me like a week – Ben Jones mm-hmm. called me a week after I put that podcast up, and mm-hmm. they had the largest spike in membership. That's that, great that they've ever seen with without associated with anything else, mm-hmm. without a just like, membership offer right. being on. So Facebook. I mean, I know my voice resonated mm-hmm. with a lot of listeners. A lot of them wrote me. Um, a, lot, a lot of them, like I told you guys, they told me, "Yep, I just renewed my PF one." I said, well, "That's great. You're you're a pheasant hunter. You know, do both if you can." Mm-hmm. But if you're a you know if if you're a pheasant hunter and you're not a, a, a PF member a quail hunter not a QF member, at this point the way this world's going, from everything from you know politics to global warming to whatever it is, you're you're just uh, I'll key scratch your truck if if I don't see, <laughs> if I don't see a PF sticker in your truck in South Dakota. I already spent in the North Woods and I already got one guy coming back at me. I might as well have pheasant hunters. You coming do back take at a me. different approach than I do. I do. It's, <laughs> Bob, pretty was, straightforward. Bob, I was born on the South Side of Chicago. I know. Okay, it's gonna be pretty tough. Okay, it's time to go to work. <laughs> the bears, <laughs> the bears, the bears. Past the sausage. Yeah, in the middle. We do. Night. It's important though. It really is. Well, thank I, you. I want everybody to really get off their their butts and and join 
And if you're a member, thank you for being a member. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be afraid to take the next step. Be well, a, a bigger member. Well, thank you for being a Quail yep. Forever Life member. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure. Pleasure. I, I got to go on some quail now. <laughs> At least I feel a little more entitled. <laughs> I'll be doing that in Oklahoma, though. Uh, well, that's that's my next question is what is on the agenda for your hunting season? And uh, intuitively, that would be the agenda for your uh, hunting dog podcast. Right. Too. Well, there's going to be uh, South Dakota hunt, uh, Oklahoma hunt, this Minnesota hunt now turned into the Minnesota hunt. Probably Probably hit North Dakota. We're going to hunt a really fun thing we're going to do um, with my uh, clothing sponsor, Pike Gear. We are doing, a, we're going to film for Travis Frank's show. Good. Uh, we're going to film up on Beaver Island in Lake Michigan. So that's that's our show too, right? That's the that's flush is exactly. what you're talking about. What a tie-in. Yeah. What so a tie-in. I, uh, I, Travis had told me about the Beaver Island. I didn't know yeah. that was with you. Yeah. So explain Beaver Island for folks that don't know uh, about was, Michigan geography. Yeah. Well, it's up in northern Lake Michigan. It's not too far off the, you know, there's a ferry that runs to it. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's some mainland homes, and I think there's even a landing strip on, on Beaver Island. But there's a couple archipelago islands that just are abandoned from probably the 30s or 40s. Actually, one of them, if you look on Google Maps, still has what you could make out as an airstrip. Hmm. You know, just one straight line on this island. And these are totally uninhabited islands in Lake Michigan. So we're going to boat out to them, bring the camera crew, bring our dogs, and try to get grouse and woodcock out there. Nice. Never been done. I mean, I'm not saying it's never been done before, but. How many people do that? Right. You know? That sounds pretty awesome. That sounds like a bucket list almost. Yeah. And it, I'm afraid what will happen if it's successful. <laughs> There'll be a new yeah. ferry going from High Island to Garden right. Island pretty soon. Yeah, it'll, look <laughs> like, it'll look like Jared's flat-bottom boat. <laughs> <laughs> 15 <laughs> horse, just Care, pinning it out, out there. there. Yeah. Careful out there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're doing that show. Um, and what else? Oh, there's a couple other ones I've got to do. Um Ah, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on the rest of them, but okay. it's, uh, I've gotten more permission to hunt this year because the podcast has really kind of turned into a part-time business. Mm-hmm. And as long as my wife's always let me work on, the, I've worked on the road my entire life, really. She raised the kids. I earned the paycheck. It's just the way it was. I, my, my job, you have to chase around the country. There's, there's not that much work like that in one given town at any one given time. So you're, you're known to just go on, you know, month here, two weeks here, day here. And uh, so the podcast has actually given me the ability to go out and hunt more and see more people because now it's part of my job. Yeah, that's so perfect. It, it, I couldn't have asked for a better better outcome. Yeah. That's, that's terrific. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to, to live out the dream that, you know. It took me long enough. I'm 62. Yeah. I was going to quit work anyway soon. <laughs> so. so if folks want to uh, become a subscriber, give your show a listen, how do they find you? Oh, just like everybody else, any of your podcast apps, whether it's an iTunes or, or an Android or a, an Apple product or Android product, any any of the podcast apps out there, just type in the Hunting Dog Podcast, and boom, we'll come up. Um, you can type in Italian Broncos. You can see some of the funny pictures. You can. I don't think you can type in Taffy yet. I don't think I have anything <laughs> that'll pop up on her. Well, we'll get we'll get a couple pictures tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Folks can follow you on social media. Yeah, Instagram, it's the Hunting Dog Podcast. I don't do Twitter. I, I mean, there's a Twitter account with my name on it, but I don't know where it is. <laughs> I, can't, I can't find a password. Um, we have a website that uh, has connections to all of our sponsors and our, our p- conservation partners. Mm. Um, 
I think it gets pretty good traffic from what my um, – I have – the weird part about me is I have no employees, no producer, no mm-hmm. editor, no skills. I have volunteers that help me with do everything. I, I actually put out a call for – I said, I need someone who can work with a computer and do a website. Because, like, okay, he's got a German short here. Hmm. He's been helping me out for three years now. Wow. And he does kind of that for a living. Matt Giorgio, shout out to Matt Giorgio. And uh, I've taken him on a couple hunts. I don't pay him anything. He's no, this is fun. Hmm. This is fun. So I, I've literally done this with, you know, I record all my, almost all my episodes on the phone. Now it's changing. In the studio, I'm yelling at dogs. I'm knocking things over. The dogs are grabbing food bowls. The, there's, the <laughs> sound is terrible. But apparently the message resonates. So. It does. It I've enjoyed. Uh, I've been on your podcast what probably two three times yeah. now. Yep. And uh, I it's can, always I, interruptive. I, I, isn't can, it? I can attest to the dog bowls flying around the room. And <laughs> sometimes if I'm mad enough, I grab some <laughs> empty can of beer and I throw yeah. it at the kennels. Yeah. <laughs> Quiet. And, and then, yeah, if that doesn't work, then I'm like, we're going to hit pause now for a commercial <laughs> break. <laughs> well, my my hunting dog podcast story occurred at Pheasant Fest last year. Oh yeah, you remember this? So I got a text from Ron. Uh, he's like, "Okay, come up to room." 201 yeah. in Schaumburg, yeah. and we're going to do a podcast. Like, mm-hmm. okay. So I knock on the door, 201, and Ronello opens the door. Right. He's like, oh, I thought you were uh, room service. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and and hap- room service happened to be right behind right me. Because right? like, he just made an order. Right. Here's your salad, Mr. Ronello. And uh, I'm like, what's going on here? And he's like, That's yeah, nice. Ron's in there. Have a seat. And you were on the couch. Ronella's on the chair, like, okay, I guess I'm on the bed. Right. Right. <laughs> Very. And, and Ronella's eating a Caesar salad. Well, he's we're like, trying to keep a podcast Well, he, he's like, okay, how are we going to start this thing, Ron? What's your plan? And, what, and you're, you're like, well, I'm just going to hit record and we're going to go. <laughs> and, and, and Steve's kind of like, Really? Right. Like, you know, because he, he studies oh. for oh, a week at a time before right. a podcast. That's turned into a, a, his, like, his third full-time job. Right. The podcast. Right. And, I mean, I don't think anybody does a better job out there with no the doubt. podcast. No. Um, at least in our genre. Right. You know, um, I'll say he's no Joe Rogan, but <laughs> he's Steve Rodella. Yeah. And he's, you know, a longtime friend of mine and – it's funny. I I've uh, I've known him for so long. Known him like I said since he was a teenager, mm-hmm. and we've always maintained that relationship where it was never like he was younger than me, and it was never like I was older than him. But he always has just a little piece of respect, but he likes to push the limits, <laughs> you know. And then I always have that like you know what you're pretty accomplished, so I don't you know try to just like oh you're an idiot or anything like that, you know. <laughs> It, it's just a, a great relationship, and yeah, I didn't know what that. I didn't have any plan for that. I know you just you put the no Zoom plan. recorder and you just hit play. It let's turned out pretty good. Yeah, I was like, let's just start talking. Let's go. <laughs> the only thing three that didn't Michiganders of, in a room. The only thing that didn't come out of that room good was the pictures I took on my phone. Oh yeah, they were dark, horrible. All dark. Yeah, mine. Were I want to get too. a couple good pictures. Yeah, that was the only bad thing. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get it some other time. We'll we'll nag them, snag them for a picture. If Steven Ranella were to own a bird dog, what breed should he shop for? Oh, God, that's a good way to wrap it up. Uh, la- uh, Labradoodle. <laughs> Labradoodle. Because he's not a dog man, so there's no point in giving him, you know, a, he's there's no ca- point in giving him a real 
bird dog. That's him calling right <laughs> He's now. He's calling oh, right shoot. now. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you said a golden doodle. A golden doodle. Yeah, <laughs> golden doodle. That's what he needs, a golden doodle, because he's not a dog man. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's, that's my choice for him. All right. Anything else would upstage him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, thank you for coming in to visit Thanks with for us. having me. Absolutely. And, and most importantly, thanks for talking to all of your listeners about the importance of getting involved yeah. in conservation. And, it's super um, important. Yeah. It's, it's, be, it's beyond super important. In fact, the deeper I get into this, the scared, more scared I get about trends and numbers. And you know, somebody sent me a... a a chart, uh, it was from the Audubon Society, I think. Oh, the bird report? The, yeah, the bird report. Yeah, like, uh, two billion. It, two it, billion? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was the one where they're, they're dropping off in X amount of years. There was another one that was just grouse specific. Mm. And by if they're around, if everything's still cooking by the year 2080, we'll only be able to hunt them in Canada. Jeez. And just the way everything's going, population, forestry, if nothing changes, it was like this worst-case graph scared the crap out of me, you know. I don't want to have to get a passport for my grandkid after I'm dead. How am I going to do that? We can't. <laughs> we can't let that happen, no, especially on our watch. So we can't do it. You know, it's it's way too important. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, and and Jared. Jared and I are taking them uh, chasing some birds tomorrow. Yeah, we've uh, Ron and I have talked on the phone a lot. We've met at Pheasant Fest quite a few times, been on the podcast, and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting behind the Bracco tomorrow, teaming up on some forest birds and. Um, it's just been a real treat to have you on the side of conservation, um, talking about all the different things. And like I said, I don't whether it's pheasants forever, quill forever, a lot of those other different groups. Right. Um, you know, the things that you talk about on your show and that you have talked about in the past um, have helped us create those 314 square miles of public lands, yeah. and we sure aren't stopping there. And to that, Ron, <laughs> I oh. want to salute you. And did I you, would crack did you just too? crack a beer? But I drank Bob's. <laughs> yeah, he drank Bob's already. Well, Here I you go. I started on mine too early. That was all instinct. You can't follow a script, Ron. Wow, that's that's pretty frothy. It's pretty good. It's a little warm. Uh, My first one was cold. Yeah. And on that note, folks, uh, you can see... And meet Ron. He will be at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. That's right. In Minneapolis, February 14, 15, 16. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, we have, I don't know, we, we only have like 40 booths before we're sold, sold out. out of booth spaces. So, yep. Uh, pheasantfest.org. Ron will be there along with all of your favorite bird hunting buddies. And yeah. we'll be talking conservation we'll sign right off the public land stage off to the the pavilion yep the pavilion so uh, looking forward to it my sponsors will all be there we're gonna have it's called the hunting dog podcast village (laughs) i never liked that saying it takes a village but we might have to incorporate that for all of us hunters and habitat people there you go it might just take a village of us (laughs) we're still looking for miller light as a sponsor we we do need the official beer of uh pheasants forever and quail forever i got parent brewery it's a great craft beer in Michigan, but it's not all over the place. Yeah. We need a. I need. My, I'll keep my local thing, and we. You guys got more clout than I do. Let's get you, you Miller think, on board. You'd think we could be. We at one time had Miller. They uh, sponsor NASCAR for Miller God's High sakes. Life, the champagne. But uh, if you're listening out there, Miller, we want you. Somebody, back. some distributor, some somewhere. There you go. Join the movement. Get a hold of Jared, and if and if. 
Lineys, just, Lineys is a Miller product. That'd be our Yeah, you just too. drove through that's there on the true. way over. That's true. Yeah, yeah they're, they're owned by Miller now. Let's go for it. All right. I'm putting you guys to task for it. You have a, you have a staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Good Cheers. Luck tomorrow, Cheers. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast with Ron Bame. You can listen to his podcast at Hunting Dogs Podcast. Uh, thanks very much, and, and take Ron's advice. Become a member of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever at pheasantsforever.org and quailforever.org, and we will see you in the field.